All right, let's take out our Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. I want to say hi to everyone on on-site Rockland, also watching online streaming. Hi to all of you. We are taking a step out of the series of being Jesus to address a, a bit of an issue about being family while at the same time reflecting on the series. Here's what I mean. We are one-fourth of our way through the series being Jesus. I'm going to zoom us all the way to the end and say if the Being Jesus series does what I think it does and talks about what I think it talks about, we are ultimately going to end up in the place where the disciples ended up, and that's in the book of Acts. So we are going to talk a little bit more through the book of Acts, but I'd like to begin with 1 Peter. If you could turn with me to 1 Peter, and the Bible's here, it's page 1014. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and also once you get there, if you could take out the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door, I'll give you the fill in the blank here in a moment. So let me just begin with these thoughts. There is a improper view that many of us have in the church, or those of us that study God's word, that there are the apostles And then there's everybody else. The apostles were superheroes, and then there was everybody else. That is an improper view. We tend to read the Bible and we say phrases like, well, that was Jesus, or well, that was the apostles, or well, and we create a completely different class of person, and then there's us. That is not appropriate, and it's not appropriate because of verses like this and passages like what we're about to read. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, As you come to him, a living stone, meaning Jesus was a foundational piece that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, I am a stickler for context. If you're going to read a passage to me and say that it applies to me, you better be clear that it applies to me. We don't start grabbing other stuff and forcing it. So does this apply to us? Yes. How do we know? Because it says, as you come to him, who is it referring to? Anyone that comes to Jesus Christ legitimately gives their life over to him, is rescued and surrendered by him, is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, by the presence of God being in them. Anyone that's a true believer is going to be in this verse. As you come to him, as God draws you to him, as you are legitimately saved by Jesus... You are going to be made into something, and you'll notice it's a little version of him. He is a living stone. You also, meaning us, are little living stones as well. The point of Christianity is that we are mimics. Little Christs is actually what the phrase means. We are to be just like him. He's a big rock. We're the little rocks. What does he do with the little rocks? He cements them together, builds them into a place where he dwells. That's the temple of God. It doesn't mean the building, it means the people. It means that in the greater body of Christ, Christ moves among them in a very powerful, fluid way and moves through them out into the world. And then it says, 
We are a holy priesthood. That is a critical phrase for the Jews. They know what priesthood means. Priesthood means for them, there's a special class of people that were born into a certain family, and they're the only ones that are allowed to get near God. Jesus said, not anymore. I fixed all that. Now, you have been made right and righteous and holy in my Father's sight because of what I did on the cross. Therefore, you are my priesthood. What do priests do? They communicate to God on behalf of men, and they communicate God to men on his behalf. What is our job to do? Communicate God into the world. That's what we do. Do we intercede for our fellow man? Absolutely we do. That's the other priestly function. But what it means is there's no longer a different class of people that are more connected to God, whereas you can say, well, i got to go to a priest. No, you don't. The whole point of what Jesus did was bridge that gap, and now you can go direct. Now you have full access, because of the cross, to your heavenly Father. Therefore, you can walk in with confidence, knowing that Christ's blood has covered you, and now you're legit to talk with God. If that is the case, then what are we to do? Walk around the world talking to God on other people's behalf and communicating Him to them. We are, and this is what is referred to as the priesthood of all believers. The concept priesthood of all believers means the fill in the blank on your sheet. It's this. There are no second class believers. There are no second class believers. What I mean is there is not an elite rung of super apostles and everybody else. There's not a division of the priesthood people. Oh, and then there's regular folk. That does not exist in Christianity. We are all in the same boat. And you go, well, how do you know that? Well, let me tell you a famous story that actually I'm going to refer to later on, but I'll tell it up front. You know this story. Peter and John, two apostles, big dogs. One was called the Beloved. The other one was the leader of the apostles. So if you ever want to talk about guys that are kind of a big deal, it would have been these guys. They're walking to temple one day. They see a guy that's been crippled or paralyzed from birth and he walks up to him and peter stops john for a second and he says hey gentlemen begging look at me for a second i don't have any cash on me but what i have i give you now that's weird as a phrase what i have i give you we'll discuss that at some point in the future he said this in the name of jesus christ of nazareth what rise up and walk get up they help him up, he springs to his feet, and the miracle is wrought that not only do his muscles that have been atrophied never use, not only do they become strong, but suddenly he has the ability to walk when he's never walked. That means everything about his balance is all immediately front-loaded, and he's good and he's running and jumping. Now that's way over the top as far as miracle. How in the world did that happen when, you know, we get all oh, astounded and all that crazy stuff? They must be superheroes. Look at what it says. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 11, page 911. Acts chapter 3, verse 11, page 911. Just in case we ever thought that, this was recorded. And this is critical. Here's what it says. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While he, meaning the man that was paralyzed who can now walk... While he clung to Peter and John out of his excitement, 
All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, meaning in the temple compound. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Like, that's ridiculous. Verse 13, the God of Abraham... And it moves on, glorified his servant Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Verse 16, and his name, Jesus's name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. What was his point? Do not think that somehow we're this elite crew where we're all superheroes. That doesn't exist. What, you think it's somehow by our own power we made this guy walk? Are you kidding me? We couldn't make anybody walk if God didn't say that person's not going to walk. So no, I got nothing. And do not think that the only reason God used us was because of our piety, that we're so holy that God was like, well, you're the special holy ones, so I'm going to use you with all the power. He's like, trust me, I know these dudes. They're not that holy. He said, let me just blow this out of the water. This whole business about, wow, you guys must be like between us and God. You're kind of demi-gods. No. We are regular folks, he said. And that is so important to remember because in our minds we keep thinking that the people with the titles, the people that have the jobs, the people that are out front, that somehow they're in a different category. They are not. They are absolutely the exact same as you. Now, are there areas of growth? Are there areas where we can develop and discipline and go and connect and pray and spend time with God? All that is true. But as far as value to God or quality of human being, there is no difference. We are all in the exact same category. And so what I want to communicate is these were regular folks. What I want to communicate is that these are not superheroes. And if it's true for them, it can be true for us. So let's dive into it. I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a history of how the Christian church came to life. Jesus spent time with them for three years with these 12 guys. One of them didn't even, you know, work out. <laughs> we'll just say. All right, so Judas kind of, kind of went a different direction there. So 11 of them made it through the program. He spent time with hundreds of disciples, but 12 guys specifically every day. They kind of lived together and walked together. Well, what's intriguing is you would think that three years was enough, but really if you're going to do it all on your own, that doesn't sound like very long. But then he says, I'm out of here. I'm going to leave and they're like, wait a second, what do you mean you're going to leave? We're only three years old. Well, I'm going to leave, and it's better that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So here's what I need you guys to do. I need you to wait for me in Jerusalem, and I need you to wait for power. Power's going to hit. And they're like, what kind of power? He didn't even tell them what kind of power. He's like, power's going to hit, and it's going to change everything. When it hits, you will be my witnesses. Now, here's what's fascinating. He did not say, and I sure hope you are my witnesses. He said, you will be my witnesses. What does that mean? It means good or bad, we represent God, right? And here's the sad part about it. In modern day America, more people love Jesus than care at all about his family. They don't like us. They'll read about him and they go, he's awesome. But why is the church full of a bunch of jerks? 
Why is the church so smug and self-righteous? Why are they always on my case? Why? They have a very different opinion of Jesus than they do of us. Why is that? That's kind of messed up. I don't think that's a good idea. So he said, wherever you go, you will be my witnesses. Whether you think you're on or not, you're on. You are the salt and light no matter where you go. So I would suggest that you keep me in mind and know that. So you will be my witnesses, but I want you to go and hang out there. So they go to Jerusalem, and there's about 120 of them. They're all hanging out. What are you going to do when God isn't doing anything that you can see? What is your job to do? What's to pray? So they go up and they start praying aggressively. God, we really want what you want. Now, what they did not know is that he had a specific day planned. The day is called Pentecost. Pentecost for old school Jews was a festival where you would say, God has given me a lot of stuff. Here is the first fruits. Here is the first portion of the harvest of all that's to come. Well, that's kind of a cool picture where he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. This is merely a foretaste of all the craziness that the Holy Spirit's going to do in the world. He picks that exact day while they're praying. Holy Spirit comes in. We all know the story. It gets all crazy and weird and right. There's sound of rushing wind. There's tongues of fire over their heads and they spill out. and They're speaking in other tongues and it draws this huge crowd. I mean, the whole thing is just flat out weird and wacky. And then Peter preaches a sermon. And he says to them, you killed the Messiah. You need to repent. Well, that obviously is going to cause people to think twice and go, wow, maybe I should repent. So we'll pick up the story there. Go to chapter 2, verse 37. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Here we go. It says, now when they heard this, meaning Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, well, you got to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Does that include us? Absolutely it does. This is another context thing. Whenever you see the whoever, that's you. Whoever, that's us, right? Whoever, and then he says this, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. Okay. That's called church growth, right? Uh, you were 120. You're now 3120 in one day. Now, what do you do with that? Now, everyone's brand new to the faith. The massive majority doesn't have a clue what they're doing. Everyone that has only been with Jesus, maybe three years max, they're now all the leadership. I mean, everybody's looking at that. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? They're like, I'm new to this thing. I don't know. So they have their leadership kind of gathered together and put some semblance of order. Anytime you're dealing with people, there's going to be some craziness. There's going to be some mess. There's going to be a herding cats. Like, why are you going over there? Right. And you put in structures in place and they began to do that. So what was their reaction? Take a look at this. Verse 42. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The phrase devoted yourself is you promised to do it, you disciplined to do it, you do it. Do you want to do it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. That wasn't the point. The point is we're going to commit to do it and we're setting new habits. We're going to bring about some change in our lives. So what did they promise to do? What did they commit to doing? 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, why do you got to devote yourself to fellowship? Because fellowship isn't always convenient, right? And it says this, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That was communion. That's what we did earlier in our service. We do that the first full weekend of every month. Why? You always go back and you remember, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Let's reset, reset, reset. You're always going back to saying it all stems from what Jesus Christ did on the cross, right? Then it says, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. What does that mean? It's the same reason why we in this church are trying to make sure that this is a house of prayer and not merely a house of preaching, right? Why? Because if you preach and you struggle, you get what man does. If you pray, you get what God does, right? So we want God's presence in this place. That's the whole reason why we're here. So they devoted themselves to the prayers, but not prayers alone, prayers together. And it says that the reaction or the outcome was rather intense. Look at verse 43. And awe came upon everyone, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Like literally, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people." And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. All right. So what's the point? You do the stuff God said and things naturally move forward and progress and grow. That's what it said. What is God's big plan for church growth? Be healthy. There you go. That was awesome. Be healthy. Do what I told you to do. Allow my presence to be in the place. And you know what? Then people start getting fired up and they're telling their neighbors and they're speaking out and they're sharing their faith. I mean, that's how it's supposed to go. But here's our problem. Jesus is an American. Jesus is a Middle East guy. So their reaction in the early Christian church was a Middle East reaction. What was their reaction? Come together. What's our reaction? Split apart. In our society, we hold in high esteem autonomy. If you do everything right and you make enough money, you can be that lone guy in Manhattan up at the top with a huge apartment all to yourself. That's what we highlight. What? Is that really the highest ideal? That you are alone in an empty apartment that you bought with all your money so you have a killer view with no one to share it with? Is that really what the highest ideal? In America, that's our highest ideal. So here's our problem. For the early Christian church, their natural reaction was to come together. Ours is not. So now, in order just to do the Bible stuff, we have to try to break American modern mindset and get into a Middle Eastern ancient mindset, and then we can start doing Christianity better because it is only done in community. We have to be together because everything you read there happened because they were together. None of that has to do with them being at their house by themselves. None of it has to do with their private prayer time. None of the things that you just heard or read had to do with everyone having their own personal faith. It had to do with coming together. Different stuff happens when you come together. I know you don't want to come together. I get it is inconvenient. I get that a lot of us travel a long way to get here. I understand that we're all busy. 
I get your job is demanding. I get that you have to run the kids all over the place for soccer and everything else. I understand all the demands. I live it. All I'm telling you is if we do not rise above that or change that tone, we will not grow appropriately. That's it. So what are we going to do with that? We don't make friends because making friends is hard. We don't want people to demand from us, but we have to. We have to get out of our bubble. We have to get out of our world. I know that we constantly, you know, want to work, 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 work and all that stuff. And then if we only do this much, then someday we'll have the freedom to hang out with buddy. But by that time, no one wants to hang out with you. I mean, you're so lost in yourself. It's kind of like you don't even know what friendship is. Listen, we got to live life now. We got to be together now. We got to do things together now so that we can grow together. Community is critical to Christianity. So that, that's a challenge for us. But watch this. Let me, let me talk about where this kind of went. So this church is growing, and then the apostles and some of the folks start doing these crazy miracles, starts throwing everybody off. The next one is that story where I told you Peter and John were going to the temple and that, and that guy got healed. That was so radical that it says after that, everybody started paying attention and the family grew to 5,000 people. Okay, so now we went from 120 to 3120 to 5,000 people. This is all happening very rapidly. They're trying to get their arms around it. What do we do? What do we do? I don't even have any structure. What do you mean structure? What's a church? I have no idea. They're making it up as they go along. But because they're so outward about it, because they're so blatant about it, because they keep promoting Jesus Christ, they get arrested. The apostles get arrested and they start, you know, messing with them. I can't believe you're doing this. You're ruining everything. Why would you talk about Jesus? You know, we don't like Jesus. You got to stop doing this. Look at chapter four, verse 13. This is, this is amazing. If you underline in your Bibles, you better get your pen ready. If you are looking at a Bible in this sanctuary, you better get a pen ready because I want you to underline it in that one too. Okay. Here's what it says. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Anybody have a question on how they noticed that? How dorky did these guys have to look going, that guy's got no education. I don't know what's going on with that guy, but something's wrong with him. His elevator doesn't go all the way to the top. They were looking at him going, man, these are not fancy guys. These are not like supermen. These are not only average, I'd say below average, right? That was the apostles. When they saw the boldness and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, which means more glory to God. The fancier you are in yourself, the less glory God gets. You understand what I mean? For example, if indeed God has given me a gift to preach and teach, and I wow someone, God gets less credit. Because they don't realize that it's God, they keep assuming it's a man. But if someone comes up here that is not gifted in preaching and teaching, and they explode with the word of God and the power of God, you know it's all God, and more glory rises up, right? So your gifting actually diminishes sometimes the glory of God, because everybody thinks it's you. Right? Then it says this. They were astonished, and this is the line to underline. Underline this in your Bible. Not only they saw them as uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. 
There you go. That is the essence of the entire Being Jesus series. I want everyone in this church to have this said about them. Man, that is an average person, but dang, you can tell they've been with Jesus because something's different about them. I don't know what's going on, but they've been with Jesus. That's what you want. That is the essence of what we are driving for. Have you been with Jesus? I'd rather you come out of your prayer closet. Nobody has any idea that you prayed. And all of a sudden you come out and start sharing your faith. And it's just blowing stuff up because you had been with Jesus. I would rather that, right? Then all the fancy education and everything else where we look good on the outside, but no one can tell we've been with Jesus. That's messed up. So then it says, verse 14, they want to get rid of these guys, but look at verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What are you going to do when the dude is healed and he's right there? What are you going to argue with? No, he didn't get healed. Uh, he's right there and he's bouncing, right? He's like, look at my legs, look at my legs. This is awesome, right? They're like, stop bouncing. He's like, never did it before. It's awesome, look, right? I mean, that's what's going on. This guy's never walked before. And he's right. What are you going to argue? A miracle just happened in your midst. That's pretty awesome. What's my point? These are everyday Christians. It's us. It's everyday Christians. It's not superheroes. It's just us common people that do common things there a lot of them are fishermen some of them were businessmen whatever some of them were craftsmen some were in construction it doesn't matter that's not the point they're average people that serve an extraordinary god that is us we are average people so if you think you're average hey perfect right because you serve an extraordinary God. It moves on. Look at verse 29. After they get threatened by the leaders again, they're like, if you keep preaching, we're going to kill you, blah, 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 blah. They were freaked out. Why? Because regular people freak out about stuff like that, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, they were like, hey, whatever, cut off my head. I don't care. They were scared because real people get scared. And that was what the apostles were. So they got scared. And so they prayed about it. Verse 29, they said, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In other words, man, we're so scared we want to quit. We don't want to go out there anymore. They're all mean. They're going to kill us, Lord. Give us boldness to keep speaking your word. Verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, we're not going to get into the whole, I thought they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, now they're filled with the Holy Spirit again. I don't want to get into that right now. What I want you to understand is they prayed and God moved. That's all you need to know. They got together. They had a threat. They prayed about it, and God answered. What was their reaction? Come together and pray. That's what we do. We come together and pray. We come together and pray. We come together and pray. It was not strategy. It was prayer. So coming up this year, right? 
when I'm back in, it's September 21st, we have another one of our worship, prayer, and healing nights, right? We do them every year. We believe that there's going to be so many people that attend, we can't fit them in here. So we're doing it at Capital Christian where they got a bigger seating arrangement. We are bringing together 11 churches to come pray with us. It is going to be a jam-packed night. Why? Because we come together and we pray. Why? Our world is broken. We got people hurting. We have people that are in sorrow. We have people that have broken relationships. We have people that are sick. We have all kinds of stuff messed up. So what are we supposed to do? Pray. That's what you do. You come together and you pray. Well, I can pray by myself at my home. You're absolutely right. Go ahead and do that. Now come together with me. Let's do it together. And you will see the power of God move. Why? Because he loves to move in the presence of his people. So let's pray and then pray and then pray and then pray. That's how it works awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. So let's keep moving. Uh, verse 32, it says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, but no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. I refer to that as kind of a creepy commune, right? Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What happened? They looked around and said, what are my resources and how do I bring about change and impact in this world? They grabbed their money and their finances and they threw it down and said, let's go. You just saw that happen in this church. We literally just witnessed a miracle. Why? Because in a very short amount of time, in the summertime with our attendance at an all-time low because of summer, our church family in 45 days raised and promised $4.2 million. Are you kidding me? What that means is everybody, 1,400 and more families, sacrificed, gave, gave, gave. Why? Because they felt like the Lord wanted them to. That's it. You just saw a miracle of that proportion. But is that the only way that we're to give? It is not. What are our other resources? Time. What I've found is over the last 18 months, we've seen a massive decrease in involvement in volunteers. It was interesting because everyone said, well, you can have my money, but I got to keep my time. Here's my problem with that. We're not together. We have to be together. Let me tell you where it's most critical. Kids way edge and fuel. Why? Because our children need men and women to lead them. We are all involved in this. This is not a, hey, let's just allow a few moms to go back there and kill themselves to watch all of our kids so we can go listen to the adult time. This is actually the whole family getting together and saying, I want to invest in kids. What's going on? I want the kids to know me. Do you realize the stats show that the kids bail out from the church after high school? Why? Because they don't know anyone in here. They don't care about anyone in here. They don't understand what's going on in here because we don't go see them. 
We just tell them, right? Hey, you guys do your thing. We'll do our thing. Oh, it's the big people thing. We're not going to engage and not do multiple generation. That doesn't fly. What they need to know is, man, I got a whole bunch of moms and dads in this place. I got a ton of uncles and aunts. I got a ton of grandparents and grandmas. Because we all say this. Oh, have you heard the testimony about that one guy who was, he had a single mom and he didn't have a dad and some of the men from the church gathered around him and they invested in him and he became a pastor, right? We all go, yay, that's an awesome story. Do you realize that the only reason those guys did that is because they knew the kid? If you don't know the kid, he's merely a faceless name and you'll try to throw money at it. That's not what he needs. He needs to know you. And so we get involved. We're in the small groups with the high school. We're in the small groups with the middle school. We're in the small groups with the little ones. We're the ones that hold the babies so they grow up believing this is a safe place. We're the ones that rock them. We're the ones that help the little toddlers. We're the ones that take them to the bathroom. We're the ones that walk down the hallway and we see the little kids that we've just spent a whole year with and we give them a high five as we're going down the hallway. Why? So this place becomes their family and they are not held away. They are invested in, right? That's what we do. Everyone does it. And you go, well, you know what? I'm done with kids, man. I got done with having kids like... 20 years ago. So you're going to leave it to the burnout moms to do it. Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, it's okay for them to go. Maybe you who are strong ought to help out those who are weak. And maybe you alleviate the burden and you help them out and go, Hey, go ahead, hon. Why don't you go over to the, go learn about the Lord. I got your kids. Let's go. I'm fine. You know, and I'll screw around. I'll laugh and I'll be on the ground. I'll tell them stories or whatever. It's not that you have to be fancy. It's you have to be present, right? I mean, that's the issue. And every single one of us that have kids, we have a mandate to be present. Why? Because we don't just hand them off to the other people in the congregation. Do you understand? They're not paid workers. They're all volunteers. So they're loving on your kids the best they can, but they can't do it all. We all rotate. We're all involved. It's just how church has to work. Then the church is growing, right? And, 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 and all this stuff is happening. And then God has to bring in church discipline, right? Because why? Because dealing with people is crazy. Now, granted, God killed people. I don't think that I'm encouraging that at Bridgeway. I'm not exactly going, what we need is more thinning of the herd. But we, we just need a couple people to just drop dead. That would be awesome. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They were killed. And everyone was like, whoa, God's not messing around, right? Signs and wonders are going on. The church is growing. The apostles are put into prison. They're let out by angels. What? And then they're told to go back in. I mean, the whole church was like radical Christianity. And then came normal, boring problems. Pick it up with me in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, as we wrap this thing up. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, that meant the church is getting bigger, a complaint by the Greek folks, the Hellenists, arose against the Jewish people, the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, that means distribution of food. Do you understand that church isn't always fancy? 
It's not always preaching. It's not always worship leading. It's not always that. A lot of it has to do with, oh, the food closet. A lot of it has to do with praying with someone or sitting while someone cries. Sometimes it's going to the hospital. There's an awful lot of non-flashy, oh, what are we going to do to keep the lights on? What about the janitorial service? That's real church, right? That's how it's always worked. Anytime you have people, you have regular church issues, regular problems and that's what the early church had they're like oh great so-and-so thinks they're getting ripped off from the daily distribution of food can somebody go over there and handle that i mean it was just regular problems and then it says so the 12 verse 2 summoned the full number of disciples that means they called the church together and they said it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of god to serve tables therefore brothers pick out from among you seven men of good repute Full of the spirit of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Does that sound snooty? If we read it wrong, it sounds like they're being pompous. I cannot be bothered with those widows and all their hunger. <laughs> Can someone else handle that problem, please? I am busy in the word. I'm busy praying, right? And you look at him, you're like, what is your problem, dude? Here's the way they were viewing it. We have a calling to lock down this side, and this side's coming apart. Can somebody please lock down that side while we take care of this one? That's all they were doing. It's not an arrogance thing. It's not a cocky thing. It's a calling and a role thing. Going, we've already been told what our role is, but now we have new roles coming up. Can someone handle those? And they said, can you grab maybe seven guys to take over this, this ministry? And deacons were born. So there was elders who were like the apostles, and then they had another level, which was the deacons. Here's our problem, though. We keep thinking that there was the cool apostles, and then there was like the worker bees. Those were the deacons. That is completely incorrect. Watch how this goes. It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, verse 5, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and they chose Philip and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Pumbaa, and, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte. Look at the last one, Nicholas. He's not even a Jew. Now you have Gentiles coming on staff, right? He's in there. And then it says, and they set these before the apostles, they prayed, laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Here's my problem with this. We look at that crew and go, oh, well, I mean, they weren't like apostles or anything. I mean, they waited tables, so they're always like, more wine, sir, right? That's all they did. They had the little towel over their arm, and they just ran around making sure everyone had crackers, right? That is not at all what it means. Waiting tables, does that sound common? It does. Are they watching over a ministry? Yes. Are they doing regular average ministry? Yes, they are. In this church, we call them ministry team leaders. They're the ones that run the men's ministry, the women's ministry. They're the ones that run the sports ministry. They're the ones that run all the things going on, everything from the creative arts haven department to all these other things from the hospitality, and it goes on and on and on. They're our deacons. And you look and you go, well, you know what? I mean, they're not as fancy as like the people on staff. Let me explain who these seven are. You know two of them very well. One of them, his name is Stephen. Let me explain to you what Stephen is like, the waiting tables guy. Go to chapter 6, verse 8. You ready for this one? 
And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. What? That's what apostles do. Oh, that's right. The deacon was doing it. What's the point? There's no difference. Doesn't matter what his role is. Doesn't matter what his job is. God is moving through him just as powerfully as the apostles. It says that then some of those who belong to the, the bad guy group, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. So now they're arguing with table waiting guy, but look how it turns out. Verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He shut him down with how brilliant he was and the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Nobody said that about Peter. Nobody would ever say that about Peter. Nobody said that about John. They said that about Stephen. Then he rips off this amazing sermon that's brilliant and beautiful and woven together and starts convicting everyone in the whole area. Oh, but he's not a preacher. Oh, yeah, he is. That just wasn't his job today. But he ends up getting touched by God. He, boom, gives this amazing sermon. Look at verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged because he's convicting them. They ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Heavens were opened up. Literally, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, hey, behold, (laughs) Seriously, check this out. I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man called Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, that means throwing rocks at him till he dies, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said it, he fell asleep. Are you telling me that's their deacon? Who does he sound like? Who said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit? Jesus. Who said, Father, forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. Jesus. Are you telling me he's less than John the Apostle? That's Stephen. That's table waiting guy. Power, miracles, signs and wonders, preaching, seeing heaven and visions of God. Having the humility, having the face like an angel to continue to intercede for the people throwing rocks at his head. That's the table waiting guy. Are you kidding me? And we're impressed by the apostles? No way. You know anything about Philip? Philip does signs and wonders too. That's weird. He is an evangelist. The Holy Spirit communicates with him so clearly he tells him where to go. He goes down in front of a chariot. He leads this guy to Christ. He baptizes him in the river. And then God teleports him out of the area and he disappears and shows up in another city. What? This is the deacons. It's not the apostles. What's my point? It doesn't matter your title. It doesn't matter your role. It doesn't matter your function. The power of God is in believers. That's what it means. And there are no second-class citizens. There was this one guy said this, never forgot it, totally forgot who said it, just never forgot the phrase. 
He said this. I've been chewing on it ever since. Kids don't get a junior Holy Spirit. Chew on that one. That means whatever Peter had, so does your little dude. You know what I'm saying? The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Now we're talking about that ferocity is in the little ones. It's not like, well, the Holy Spirit had a baby and then the baby hung out with the babies, right? No! It's all Holy Spirit or it's not Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter what your role is. Doesn't matter what your function is. Doesn't matter what your calling is. Doesn't matter what your title is. It matters. Are you connected to Jesus? And if you are, you got everything you need. Should we discipline? Should we pray? Yes. Should we grow? Yes. Do we need to learn and mature and grow up? Yes, we do. But make no mistake. God is with his people and he doesn't need a title to work through. So everyone that is a true believer in this church is on notice. That if God taps you on the shoulder, you're on. And it doesn't matter whether or not you're a preacher. God will say, hey, I got something to say through you. I need you to open your mouth and I need you to talk to these folks. Well, God, I'm not super clear on that. Moses tried that game. Didn't work out real well. (laughs) When God needs something done, he uses his kids and he doesn't wait around for a title. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for encouraging us, restoring us, allowing us to know, Lord, that we're all in it together, that we're just a family of regular average folks, and that's okay. That, God, we don't have to be superheroes because you're super amazing. You're super powerful. You are all the super that we need. We only need to be submitted, humble, rescued, saved, moving by the grace of God. We only need to be under your banner. We need to be empowered by you. We need to be filled with you, God. Then you do what is necessary. And, God, it doesn't always have to be flashy. God, just show us that your power is in us because you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time.